Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Well, if you listen to my program with any regularity, you know that I question everything. And especially during these times when everything is so random, ever-changing, nonsensical, and detrimental. I feel the need to be highly suspicious of everything. And I think last week's show just shows where I am at with all of this. Study after study show that masks are not effective. Excerpts from so-called reputable sources, such as the NIH, the National Institute for Health, has this to say, and I quote, In conclusion, there is a limited evidence base to support the use of masks and or respirators in healthcare or community settings. And I have a lot more like that, so visit the website speakupandstayalive.com to read a full report complete with scores of scientific studies to support the non-use of face masks. Head over to speakupandstayalive.com. You know, as I think about it, wearing a mask is counterintuitive to us as human beings here in the United States, both instinctively and culturally. We have not grown up wearing masks here in the U.S. So it is a cultural thing. It's also an instinctive thing. And whenever you do something that counters instinct for a long enough period of time, there are consequences, health consequences, both physically and mentally. And especially when you feel that you are being forced to do something that feels inherently wrong at your basic core level, the health ramifications are real. And we are seeing that. And I don't think we need government or billionaires or secret societies to dictate how we care for our own health. Then there's the constant testing and that sneaky contact tracing, the surveillance. I find that to be another problem. Consistently, the test results are faulty. So the question becomes, what is a positive test? Is there a tried, true, and trusted gold standard for testing? for coronavirus? Are the test samples to date from faulty test methods? What are they testing against? Is there a sample out there that all tests compare to? Do they compare a swab from someone in China to the exact same control as from your neighbor down the street? Do we have the original genetic code What about the training in specimen collection, in handling, and storage? I've read the CDC's instructions for use when it comes to testing. Oh my, 
There are so many variables, so many opportunities for human error and other errors that it's a wonder that any test is correct. So I think that these are all very valid questions. And given the sloppy projection models, the faulty counting of cases, the perverse incentives hospitals are rewarded with to call everything COVID, I think we all have a right to be suspicious. But since I don't have all the answers, I still seek and search, and I am quite open to hear anything and everything so that I can come to my own conclusions. And I encourage you to do so as well. Let's not be so fixed in our mind that it's either this way or that. And please, don't accept that which is being forced upon you. Just my little segue, I guess, if you want to call it, into bringing you today's guest, who shares a very interesting aspect to COVID testing. Well, today's show is going to the dogs. That's COVID-sniffing dogs. They're being used at airports from Dubai to the UK. Germany has COVID-sniffer dogs. Chile, Argentina, Belgium, France. That's right. Dogs have been successful in detecting not only dead people, but money, bed bugs, cancers, high blood sugar, malaria, diabetes, C. diff, Recently, I was contacted by a fascinating gentleman from Berea, Ohio, and he is here with me today to talk about this. He is Gary Broberg. Gary has worked with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency Task Force. His dogs have been used not only to locate bodies in Northeast Ohio, but also to find remains after national tragedies, such as the Oklahoma City bombing, and the 1994 U.S. air crash near Pittsburgh that killed 132 souls. Now, you may have read about him in some of the local newspapers recently. And while he's here right now, I have lots of questions for him. So welcome to the show, Gary. Good morning, Pat. Good morning to your audience. Thank you for being here. I have just about a million questions. can't get to them all, but I'm going to try to. So let's just dig right in. I mentioned other countries. Is anybody actively using dogs to detect the COVID virus here in the United States? No, they are not. Why would that be? Probably just simply because the politics behind the whole testing procedure has been so uh, intense uh, on the part of the companies that make these testing kits. I think that they uh, have convinced our powers to be our public officials that they are the only way uh, and the right way to go despite all the fallacies and flaws that have shown up. And uh, of course, a good indication of how bad the testing really is, is the recent incident with uh, Governor DeWine. Mm -hmm. We're on our seventh generation of uh, test kits. Testing has showed in the past, uh, in the beginning, where uh, they may have had a 20 to 30 percent accuracy, and I may take dispute with that. It's the large companies who received uh, orders from the government to pay for the technology for creating the test kits and for purchasing the test kits. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, we can't compete with that. And, and a lot of people in the government, 
they recognize, well, how do we control this sort of thing? I mean, it's a dog. I mean, how do we know that these uh, people are really accurate in, in what they say is, is happening in terms of determining that the dogs can be 100% accurate? They just don't have a background. So we've been trying to educate them, and this is a technology which is fail-safe and and has uh, shown to be enormously accurate with uh, 100% accuracy on, on the part of the dogs. And not all dogs are fit to do this sort of thing. You have to have, be very selective in, your, in the breeds that you choose, the genders that you choose, and your handlers have to have a, somewhat of a background in, in being able to understand scent detection, exactly how it works. Give us a brief look at nose work. How can a dog come to recognize the smell of a virus? It's uh, very, very easy. What we have found out that dogs can be imprinted on a, a specific odor. What happens is they're issued a command word. It's like a drug dog. There's a command word that may go with each individual drug. Everything produces a particular odor. Everything. There's no person that smells the same in the world. Every person smells differently. Dogs may be as selective as detecting the actual DNA odor of what we're asking them to definitively determine if it's what we want them to find. See, the amazing thing about dogs is it's not only that they can find things far away, but their ability to differentiate mm -hmm. just absolutely phenomenal. And again, not all breeds can do this. You can't have a little rat terrier do it. Right. You can't have a greyhound. A greyhound is a sight dog. Okay, they're not interested in smelling anything. You can't have a gafgan. They're a sight dog. A Rhodesian Ridgeback is a sight dog. But when you get into dogs like a Portuguese Water Dog or, or a Labrador, Labrador Retriever or British Spaniel, these are dogs that do uh, perform uh, multiple scenting tasks on the ground for tracking and also uh, in the air for air scenting. So it, the breed is very, very critical in, in the choice of using the right dog for detecting COVID-19. So, Gary, are they scenting the virus itself? Yeah, it's a very, very selective odor. The basic flu is a virus. A cold is a virus. Okay, and so you have three different viruses there. Now you can imprint them on three different viruses and ask them to different the dogs to pick out the COVID-19 from that of the basic flu or a cold. All right. Would they be able to detect an asymptomatic carrier? Yeah. And the way we do that is when you have a person who has no symptoms, but the dog's alerting, then we know it's a, they're asymptomatic. If the dog's alerting and they, they have symptoms, you know, they're sweating temperature, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. they're full-blown COVID-19. Right, right. Gary, how do you envision this working? In your perfect world, what would you like to see happen? Well, number one, we have to have uh, dogs and handlers adequately trained and, and before they can get, and when I say trained, imprinted, because they already should be trained. Their dog should already be able to perform scent detection tasks. And when I say scent perform them, I mean, the, the way we can easily vet a dog is, I mean, we could throw a ball into a field of grass and it'll, it'll have, uh, say, for instance, uh, that handler's scent on it. That dog now has to stick its nose up in the air and it'll go uh, seek out anything that's, number one, unusual to the environment, and number two, seek out that particular scent that they're, they know from playing different games that 
hey, this is, you know, my handler just threw this in. I'm going to bring it back. So now it's we have the COVID-19. We do the research, and it looks like it's going to be done at Ohio State University. Prices have increased since we first uh, tried to put this mission together. We, we have to take the dogs to the actual imprinting process and see exactly if, in fact, there's accuracy in the dogs that we vetted and uh, begin selecting dogs and uh, dogs and handlers. Now we have our dog team. Let's take, for example, a public housing situation where you have a very uh, high level of uh, COVID-19 or, or a very uh, high presence of asymptomatic COVID-19. But yet, you know, these people, they don't have transportation. They don't want to get to the area to be tested. It's too cumbersome. So. Let's say, for instance, we bring a dog team into that building that's got 170, 87 apartments. And so the day beforehand, we would issue them a test, uh, a test tube, a plastic test tube. It has a swab in it. Then there's two secure caps on it. And if you notice, I sent you a, an article, Yale Magazine, where they're talking about the preferences to swab from the mouth and not from the nose. Yes. And, and so uh, what happens is these individuals will uh, will tell them the next morning, please, by, you know, 9 or 10 o'clock, swab your mouth out and put it back in the test tube. All the test tubes would be barcoded. We'd have someone pick it up, and we'd have a trailer downstairs, which may have 16 secure canisters in it. We'd have an individual in PPE, and we would set up, start setting up the 16 canisters by putting a test tube in the 16 canisters. And then we'd have that handler walk by. They lift a little trap door, and we ask, give the dog a command to find. Let's say the command word is find 19, okay, or or find COVID, or find COVID. And what would happen is, uh, as they're walking through each individual canister, if the dog sits at that canister, well, now you know you have a canister uh, or a test tube that the individual who gave that sample is got COVID-19. Or you can go back now and, and see if they're showing symptoms, and if they're not, then in fact we know they're asymptomatic. Here, here's basically two days. It takes you four hours, and you may um, be able to do 390 samples out of that in about four hours worth of time. You get Instant results from the dog. You know who has it and who doesn't have it. And then we say, hey, look, if we contact you, then you got an issue. And if we don't contact you, um, you're fine. Or, you know, if they want us to contact them, you know, we can contact them. But it's going to be really uh, a moot point if, in fact, the dog doesn't alert to their particular sample in that, can that canister. Mm -hmm. Now, getting back to um, drive-throughs, okay, people can acquire their test tube beforehand, the day before, drive up, pick one up from an individual, and then the next day, and again, paperwork's already filled out, next day they drop it off in a particular holder, okay, where it says, you know, you want the results in 15 minutes, you want the, you know, 24 hours is fine, and the actual tube gets placed, and then they, they can drive right out. The, the same thing happens. The, the dogs are going through the test tubes. It takes 30 seconds for that dog to walk past the canister. So you're checking a, a test tube every 30 seconds. 
let's go into the the next situation where our economy's been affected. Your stadiums and your arenas. Well, your in your schools, you can have dogs stationed at particular areas, and they really don't even have to do samples of saliva. Uh, what a dog can be trained for, and this is a little more training, uh, is to pick up the waft scent. In other words, they can actually pick it right up off uh, off of the body. So the individuals would walk through selective gates, and there would be a slight breeze coming towards the dog. And these are secure areas. And then, fine, if that person has the COVID-19, that dog is going to leave right away and go up and and, uh, alert to that person, start looking at that person. They'll actually put their attention on it and start looking at it. And then you know that that person needs to be rechecked again by another dog. And uh, that dog alerts the same as the first dog. Then they, the appropriate accommodations are made for them until they reach a hospital or a doctor to get further checked. Schools, you know, the, the great thing is that schools can be set up to, to, to use dogs. Or let's say you've got critical first responders. I mean, you can have dogs drive by and stop at hospital situations where they may have had an exposure or something. Or fire departments, uh, you know, where they, they're running ambulance and they need to be checked. It's, there's a multitude of abilities here that can be um, instituted to make this thing happen. And again, the dogs that are going to work in this situation, I believe that while we'll have such a high accuracy, is they're not going to be food-rewarded dogs. That's where a lot of your air factors come in in the testing. When, they're, when their dog is focused on, well, what am I going to be fed? You know, the, you know they're, they're fed by a treat because they they found the COVID-19. Well, that's not what we want. We want dogs that have, you know, are satiated prior to starting work. You know, they're content, you know, and now they're ready, ready to go to work. And then once, uh, you know, if they found something, you know, they get loved up on. And uh, that's how we're going to train and treat our dogs. So it sounds like there's some logistical questions that are still up in the air. So how close are you, do you think, to making this happen? Just waiting to get the uh, the GoFundMe link to uh, raise the money to pay for the research at Ohio State University. It's really quite expensive now. The prices price of it has gone up significantly since we first started researching this whole thing. Just to let everybody know out there, I'm strictly volunteering all of my knowledge and my time to get this thing running and, and off the ground with the research. Um, right. uh, you know, I have no intentions of taking any payment or anything like that. That's going to go strictly to the research process. Then you were initially figuring 50000 Yeah, it looks like uh, we just got a letter back. Now it's 140000 because... We didn't meet a time frame for use of the facility. And there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to be able to establish here in Ohio that these dogs are 100% accurate in detecting COVID-19. Again, the public officials need to feel pressure now. And they get, they have to recognize that enough with the testing kits that uh, are basically uh, fallacious in, in terms of what they've pretended to offer. It's time now to bring in a technology that's enormously simplistic that can be verified instantaneous from other dogs. And in other words, if you have one dog that says you have someone who has COVID-19, now to bring in uh, another dog can verify that sample. 
but to be able to do it so quickly and at such a reasonable cost. I mean, obviously, the, the handlers have to be paid because they've got training, they've got costs, be driving around and uh, that sort of thing. And, and they're the ones who ultimately really will be paid for their services. Just it's getting the word out. When, when I um, first started this sort of thing, I contacted a number of the states. Uh, representatives. Well, my, my state representative got back with me and he said, this is a great idea. But he said, you have to contact the other guys yourself and try to convince them, you know, that this thing has the potential of working. And of course, I've contacted everybody and a lot of them just, they think it's kabuki side. They don't think back and re realize all the work that drug dogs have done in those dogs where you've had burned uh, locations. And so fire marshal brings in a dog to determine if there was an incinerary product like a toluene or benzene or xylene that was used to start the fire and to see if there was arson. They forget those sorts of dogs that have been out there working for 30, 40 years. And, uh, you know, going back to World War II where dogs would lead the soldiers to the enemy. So really, it's it's really gone on for a long time. Now we're just getting into refining the whole process and we're going to try to show them how it's done step by step and and that we can differentiate between asymptomatic uh, COVID and, and the actual real thing. You know, if anybody wants to contact me, they can contact me at Gary Broberg, famous spelled B-R-O-B-E-R-G at roadrunner.com. Roadrunner.com is spelled out, you know, particularly for the, anybody who feels they have dogs that are special that can detect scent and they're always amazed by their dog and they've gone through utility training and they feel that their dogs might be suitable for performing uh these kinds of tasks that are going to be required of the dogs to detect COVID. They can just uh, let me know and I'll get back in touch with them. All right, I'll have that on the site too, but for those listening right now, it's Gary Broberg, B-R-O-B-E-R-G at roadrunner.com. Gary, do you also want to share a phone number? They can reach me at 440-223-0972. Right, so that's Gary Broberg, 440-223-0972. One last question before we leave. Just want to quell people's fears about the dogs would not be endangered or they would not be spreading it. Now, there's been a bunch of research showing that the dogs are basically immune to it. All right, I just wanted to ease everybody's minds as far as that yeah. is concerned. So get a hold of Gary Broberg at roadrunner.com. Head over to our website, speakupandstayalive.com. Share the post. It will be titled something like uh, COVID scenting dogs or Corona dogs, something like that. You'll see it'll be the top post on our page. Gary, thank you for joining us today. Pat, thank you so much. And thank you for what you do for the health community and for those who who need to be educated about health problems uh, for their their self and their loved ones. You play a very important role in that. And you're very, very, very courageous. <laughs> thank so, you. I thank appreciate you. that. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known health care and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. My new book. Let's talk about that for a while. It's available where I interviewed 31 patient safety experts from around the country 
transcribed their interviews into a question and answer anthology, and it was all for charity. It is all for charity. It really is quite telling when it comes to real-life healthcare encounters and how you, as a patient or as a healthcare provider, a doctor, a nurse, can approach healthcare with heart, humor, and honesty. Thus, the title, Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. It's available at the shop page at the website speakupandstayalive.com. And I highly recommend you have a copy of this book because if you land in a doctor's office, a hospital, rehab, nursing home, you need to know what goes on in there. And if you are a provider of care, well, you need to know what patients want and need. So head over to the website, speakupandstayalive.com, get a copy of the book and take a look around. Lots of important and well-researched information, all meant to keep you safe and healthy. Well, that is it for today, but I will be back next week. Same time, same place, but never the same information. Until then, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week, free from coercive restraints that silence your voice. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. The information provided in today's broadcast is for informational purposes only and was not intended for use as diagnosis or treatment of a health problem and should not be considered as medical advice. If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at 440-725-5462. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive.